Films with the scent of potpourri Films we commit to memory Crossing the felt ropes Watching from home on my TV Looking at all my eyes can see They tell me I view obsessively Hello and welcome to The Obsessive Viewer. We're a weekly podcast reviewing one or two new release titles every episode with an occasional free-for-all segment at the end that we call Potpourri. You can find more of our work, including written reviews and the complete backlog of our episodes at obsessiveviewer.com. And if you'd like to support us and get access to hundreds of exclusive episodes, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer, where you can get access for uh, uh, access to a bunch of stuff at one of our monthly tier levels or by individual collections a la carte in the patreon shop section uh, this week on the patreon i released my sixth installment of my six-part series on uh stephen king's everything's eventual um that is up on the patreon shop as well that is runs about six hours worth of content where i go through all 14 stories in everything's eventual and I also have been doing full-length episodes for the $5 and $10 levels on Patreon where I'm going through a bunch of movies that I'm watching for award season consideration. Um, the most recent installment of that series that I call Patreon Potpourri included my thoughts on Elemental, Robot Dreams, Wish, and Suzumi. So that plus a ton of stuff is on Patreon. Once again, you can sign up at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. For all that and a bunch more content, um, I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and you can find me on social media, including Letterboxd, at Obsessive Viewer and on TikTok at OV Podcasts. And, our, and, and, oh, and in our main review this week, I'll be reviewing Dream Scenario, the new Nicolas Cage movie, which is currently out in theaters with my friend and IFJA colleague, Sam Watermeyer. And later in the show, I'll be joined by Brent Luthold to review It's a Wonderful Knife, which is now available to stream on Shutter following a recent run in theaters. So, of course, we have a packed show tonight, but before all of that, let me introduce my first guest. Joining me for our first review of the night is my friend and IFJA colleague, Sam Watermeyer, whose written reviews can be found at MidwestFilmJournal.com. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. Sam, how is it going? Oh, thanks for having me, Matt. I am I'm good. Nice. Good to hear. Good to hear. And Better now that I'm on the show. Yes, yes. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, what was what was it that uh, you commented on? You comment you. Uh, uh, what was what was the episode? Um, you had commented and said said that you didn't get the invite. What was was that last week's episode? Napoleon oh, and you reviewed May December. May December. Yes. I, I was you know kind of uh, open about liking a lot, and yeah. uh, you didn't invite me on, which uh, <laughs> uh, deeply perturbed me. So, well, um, you know... Thanks for correcting that mistake. You are so I'm welcome. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I wasn't actually offended. I... <laughs> Your face is beat red right now. There are veins <laughs> popping out of your forehead. Like, it's... I'm fearing for my life right now. Um... <laughs> 
uh but no but i'm very glad to have you on for this uh for this episode at least for the for this review um dream scenario and um of course i want to give you the floor to uh share what's what you've posted lately and and also since we're both in the ifga like what um what movies have you watched recently in the run-up to the awards uh that you would want to highlight and and maybe push me toward watching (laughs) um all right i'll start there Mm -hmm. um i'm really late to the party here but Mm -hmm. i finally saw killers of the flower moon uh in the theater um which is funny because i think it's actually streaming starting tomorrow but i will say if it's still playing in your area for all the, you know, folks around the country who are listening, mm-hmm. um, uh, definitely see it in the theater if you can. It's, uh, a, you know, a movie that really takes you on on quite an emotional roller coaster journey, and uh, I would say the theater is uh, definitely the the best place to experience it um wholeheartedly agree like the scope of it just like in the cinematography is just stunning it's beautiful to see on this on the big screen so i definitely agree oh yeah and i will say people who are worried about the length of the movie i mean your mileage may vary but um i was exhilarated by the end it it never ceased surprising me um so many uh points in the film are are just punches to the gut that just keep coming and uh, Scorsese ends it on just a brilliant note um, that kind of comments on sensationalism of violence and and uh, you know how Native Americans are represented in the media and I just by the end I was like I said I was just exhilarated by uh, just how powerful the story was and, and how powerfully he told it. So I would say while that's in theaters, definitely uh, try to catch it. Nice. Well said. Any others that pop out to you that you've watched lately for, for uh, award season? Um, let's see. Uh, other award season movies. Um, you know what? Let me go to my letterboxd real quick and, okay. and see what I've see what i watched lately okay and while you do that i will give a rundown of some of the stuff that you've written recently um i have a list here you reviewed uh dream scenario which we'll be reviewing tonight on midwest film journal also may december and for the no sleep october series you did a uh an essay about psycho and the uh, texas chainsaw massacre remakes and you also reviewed the exorcist believer so I feel like I say this every time you're on the show, but you're having like you're you you're doing a lot. <laughs> like, well done. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Uh, that that means a lot coming from a, a fellow critic I admire. So. Oh, thank you. So, as misguided uh, as that is, thank you. <laughs> oh no, not at all. Um, I will. Uh, this isn't really for award season, but mm. I will recommend um, Thanksgiving as well. Yes. Uh, if you're a slasher fan, um, which just got announced that they are going to be working on a uh, sequel to come out in, I think, 2025. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I, I look forward to that. Um, Me too. 
basically screener wise or screening season wise i'm still trying to catch up Mm -hmm. there's a lot of stuff i need to see um you know robot dreams which you mentioned earlier i basically need to catch up on on pretty much all of the animated movies in consideration Mm -hmm. i'm always bad about uh slacking behind in that category but hopefully i won't this year I know uh, Miyazaki's latest movie is mm-hmm. getting a lot of praise. Uh, the Boy and the Heron. I love his past work, so I'm looking forward to that. That's what um, I'm looking forward to, also. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's pretty much it in terms of my recent stuff. Nice. Well done. Um. Well, Thank awesome. You. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um. Yeah. I've. Uh, I have a funny anecdote about Robot Dreams. This is just. It's. This is a dumb anecdote that isn't really worthwhile. But Robot Dreams is fantastic. I. I loved it. Um. And I had. So this is embarrassing on my part, but everything I do is embarrassing. But, um, <laughs> what I like to do when I go to sleep is I will listen to podcasts. And usually it is Freedom, the the comedy podcast from Earwolf. Um, that's like my go-to just comfort podcast that's not movie or TV related. And I'll just load up a bunch of episodes, have them play on my phone while I'm sleeping, and then... Nice. Yeah, and, and sometimes... Sometimes I'll intercut those with some obsessive viewer episodes. And <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> and because I'm weird, but I did post uh, like last night. I I added my Patreon potpourri that I referenced, where I review Elemental, Robot Dreams, Wish, and Suzumi. And this is one of the reasons why I do this because uh, like sleep while I listen to podcasts is because like I I had a dream last night where I was watching TV and they were promoting like some like continuation of um of the show how i met your mother like an actual continuation of that show and like in the dream josh radner and jason siegel were like introducing it and then and then like josh radner in the dream said (laughs) said like he just said like yeah it's crazy like um robot dreams is like it's so weird that like my favorite like romantic comedy um of the year is about a robot and a and and a dog and i'm like in the dream i'm like i said the same thing and it's because i was listening to myself say it while i was sleeping oh my god that's funny so dumb (laughs) um that's really funny and oddly enough kind of a perfect segue into dream scenario yeah absolutely absolutely yes uh yeah oh my god that is perfect uh yeah let's go ahead and go into it because i i do have one thing i wanted to bring up though um midwest film journal um just within the last day i think today was the first the first day of the samuel l jackson series um hold on to your butts an essay series on samuel l jackson uh just to promote that a little bit i will have an essay that'll be posted on december 22nd um are you contributing anything for that series no i missed it unfortunately i look forward to everyone else's contributions though yeah me too me too uh definitely check out mine i'll be uh talking about unbreakable on the 22nd um one one of his best yes oh yeah it was so much fun to just revisit that movie um and then reignite my kind of cold 
cold reaction to glass, really. Um, it also makes me a little bit curious to revisit it, but also I don't want to commit to doing that because I don't want to... Like, there was just elements of Unbreakable that, like, watching that with the memory of some of the stuff that happens in Glass just made me a little bit irritated <laughs> mm. uh, that that's where the story goes or that's how the how things kind of end up. It's, yeah, it was a, it was a bummer. Just act like it never happened. Exactly. Glass. Yes. I mean, that's yes. basically what I'm doing. Mm. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, um, you haven't seen Glass? No, but uh, Unbreakable <clears throat> was such a uh, important movie in my childhood mm-hmm. uh, that I just don't want Glass to take a big dump on it. That um, is which fair. it sounds like it does. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> yeah. I'll love it. Um, some, maybe some, you know, as some IFGA members probably think, mm-hmm. I uh, have horrible taste, so <laughs> I might love it. Uh, yeah, I remember not thinking it was horrible, just that elements of it just didn't mesh with with the overall story. Did you did you ever see Split? I did. Okay. Um, I thought it was okay. Um, I thought, uh, James McAvoy was really impressive and, uh, and menacing and, mm-hmm. and that was a fun performance seeing him, you know, do all the different personalities. Um, yeah. I thought when it, uh, veered into the unbreakable universe, that felt desperate to me. It felt like in my Shyamalan just saying, remember when I made a good movie 20 years ago? <laughs> Um, and sadly, no one in the theater seemed to know what was being referenced. Yeah, that, um, yeah, that, okay. I've, I've said this multiple times, but like, I like the closing moments of split are like one of my favorite, like theater experiences, hmm. um, because of my reaction to it. I did not have that reaction that it was desperate at all. It was more a reaction of, like, Shyamalan is a filmmaker who, like, I'm hot and cold on. I was a massive, massive fan in his heyday. Loved, like, everything up to probably The Village. I was a, I was an apologist for The Village, but after that, like, Lady in the Water is where I kind of fell off. But I was a massive, massive fan. And then when I was in the theater for Split, I had heard, like, rumblings that, like, oh, the ending is really good. And I was like, okay, well, we'll see what happens. And then, like, throughout, like, the closing scenes, I was like, yeah, that was a pretty cool movie. And then I hear the music, and I'm like, wow, did did he get, did he get, like, I think it was Thomas Newman back for, for the score or whoever? And I was like, oh, that's interesting. It's, oh, my, oh, my God. <laughs> and, like, I it, it legitimately blew my mind. And I was like, like, I turned to the person I saw it with, and I was like, we just saw an Unbreakable sequel. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Uh, and then the I'm, whole I'm, theater was confused. <laughs> I'm delighted that you had that positive yeah. experience, because mine was just sad. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it was uh, after the <laughs> screening, I was with uh, uh, my friend and actually our fellow mm-hmm. IFJM member, Joe Shear. Oh, yeah. And he turned to this woman behind us and he was like, did you know what the ending was referencing? And she had no clue. 
and it just felt sad mm. and like but i'm i'm delighted that it blew your mind like i'm glad you had that experience because yeah. it seemed like that's what he was aiming for so i guess for you it succeeded which yeah i'm happy to hear yeah it was it was very it was very good it was very good now i haven't revisited split since i since i was prepping to watch glass like a few years ago but um <laughs> in the interim since then um, and I don't know how, like we got on this whole tangent, but anyway, um, and we'll get to the review, I promise. But, um, but like, uh, I haven't revisited split, but in the interim, he's had, um, some movies that like, like glass falls into this, but also old is the big offender for me with like his weird, um, his weird, like almost. I don't know if I would say bullying, but like weird antagonistic relationship with like mental disorders and like medical disorders that it just like, it's so weird that he has so many, so many characters in, in his canon where the, like the villain aspect of a movie is predicated on a character having a real life, like developmental or not developmental, but like a, um, cognitive disability of some kind like like the visit and old and um glass and split kind of um it's just it's oh, weird wow, that's interesting yeah I, I hadn't i hadn't considered that but yeah you're right yeah it really <laughs> pissed me off and old it really just really pissed me off and old because uh the guy like as they're aging the guy starts getting like like noticeable dementia and he that turns him into a villain and i'm like you've got to stop like you have to like how just gross and offensive is that it's just ugh. well what thought about that character is as he slips into dementia it suggests like dementia makes you racist i guess yeah <laughs> Like what the um, what the hell? Yeah. Um yeah, and he he becomes very violent and yeah, it is like an exaggeration yeah. of I, I mean, you could also chalk it up to Shyamalan maybe just having a fear of medical issues himself That's and developing true. them. But then again, you have to consider the audience and it's like, well, yeah. they understand that he's exercising his own fears or is this you know oddly vilifying people with medical issues like it's tricky territory absolutely and like there's there's an ifc movie from a few years ago called relic that i feel like i i reviewed it with mike on the podcast but um I, I'm very proud of that review. Go check it out if you're listening and want to check out that review. I don't remember the episode number offhand, but basically, um, Relic is about that kind of generational fear of hereditary illnesses, and it's like uh, centered around, I believe, a a mother and daughter who the grandmother of the family is like nearing the end of her life and she has severe uh cognitive disabilities and the way that that manifests in the movie from what i remember is that like there's there's this interesting like monster effect not not necessarily monster effect but this kind of haunting effect around the like aura of the grandmother and it's reflected by how like how the fears of the daughter and the mother of the of the trio 
um, are fearful of of what that what they feel like may be in store for them in their life. It's it's a very interesting movie. It's a very very interesting horror movie that does that specific type of horror and fear much much better than anything Shyamalan's done in that arena. Um, so so I recommend it. <laughs> huh, interesting. Yeah, I I've been meaning to see Relic, so mm-hmm. I'll check that out. Yeah, I really liked it. Um, but speaking of <laughs> now, now that I have now that I have completely demolished your perfect segue into the review, let me let me try to recoup it with uh speaking of movies that I think are really, really good, <laughs> let's go ahead and review Dream Scenario. <laughs> Great segue. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, so, of course, this episode, we're going to be reviewing Dream Scenario. And then later, I'm going to be reviewing It's a Wonderful Knife with uh, with our second guest of the evening. Um, but Dream Scenario, of course, we're going to do a non-spoiler and spoiler review. So once we go into spoilers, I'll play a clip from the trailer. You can check the show notes for timestamps, all of that good stuff. Those show notes are in the podcast app you're using or at obsessiveviewer.com slash OV405. And to bring us in, Dream Scenario, it is currently playing in theaters. The premise, according to IMDb, is a hapless family man finds his life turned upside down when millions of strangers suddenly start seeing him in their dreams. When his nighttime appearances take a nightmarish turn, Paul is forced to navigate his newfound stardom. This movie was written and directed by Christopher Borgley. And the cast includes Nicolas Cage, Julianne uh, Nicholson, Tim Meadows, and Dylan Baker. Now, Sam... In non-spoilers, this movie, uh, how did you feel about it? You wrote a very, very, uh, very great uh, review for Midwest Film Journal. Uh, and yeah, how did you feel about Dream Scenario? Um, I liked it much more than I expected to. Uh, I thought the trailers were charming, and I thought the concept was cool in kind of a Charlie Kaufman way. Uh, I love the idea of an ordinary guy being kind of a Freddy Krueger phenomenon in that he's popping up in in several people's dreams. Um, but I didn't expect it to be uh, such a compelling commentary on uh, so many timely issues uh, like identity, insecurity, the whole notion of cancel culture, mm-hmm. um, uh, social media, how the idea of uh, celebrity has evolved to the point that uh, uh, we're all kind of seeking our own 15 minutes of fame or at least just wanting constant attention through social media. Um, uh, I, I really, and it, this movie comments on all of that while also being hilarious. Um, You know, I realize right now I'm making it sound kind of pretentious, but uh, (laughs) it's, it's a blast. Uh, I describe it as, as like Charlie Kaufman by way of curb your enthusiasm. It's kind of great uh, comedy of discomfort. Uh, if you're into that sort of thing, so many uh, cringe-worthy moments. Um, Nicholas Cage is great at playing 
a, a wormy kind of off-putting guy that mm-hmm. you can't help but feel for in the end. Um, I just loved this movie and, and it's one of my favorites of the year so far. Same here. And this is going to be just a massive love fest for, for dream scenario. Um, I, I had put in my notes, like, like a direct, like quote from your review, the part where you said that, uh, it, uh, explores his Charlie Kaufman like concept by way of curb your enthusiasm as comedy of discomfort. Um, it is so sharp and it's so interesting that this movie is like you said it it speaks volumes as like you literally said quote the film speaks volumes about our current social media uh, induced need for validation even from those we who love us unconditionally like that the movie is such a a unique exploration of not even not even like the nature of celebrity and not even about like cancel culture or anything. It kind of it kind of uh, pokes fun at the concept of cancel culture um, and the people who are vocal about cancel culture and how <laughs> and how they are being silenced as they're shouting so loudly about it. Um, but <laughs> but it's not like making a making much of a political statement. It is just this unique just exploration of identity and in who we are versus who we want to be. And what I kind of really latched onto with, with Paul as a character was the way that he, um, the way that he, uh, he, he attempts with, uh, not much success to parlay this, this, like attention that's focused on him into something that he wants, something that he desires, something that he wants and has been working for throughout his entire career in the way that the, like the way that the world that he lives in and the world that he is like, he's in the minds of millions and millions of people and the world that they inhabit will not let him do the thing that he wants to do. And that's something I found just so, it's it's got like a little run of bleakness to it and uh i guess i guess nihilism a little bit but it's just something that's it's it's kind of feels accurate like it feels like it's we're living in a world where everything is available at in a moment's notice instant gratification instant uh information just at our fingertips at all times and everyone's competing for the same amount of attention or at more attention than everyone else. And that's just bottlenecking all of our attention on bullshit. And then like when something breaks through where it captures everyone's attention, that that individual does not have like a venue to do the thing that they want to do. I don't know. It's it's very it's a fascinating movie. I loved it. That, that's really interesting uh, that you say, you know, he doesn't get to do what he wants to do. It it almost suggests that um, because of this instant gratification, we kind of expect things to fall in our laps. Uh, he talks about uh, wanting to publish a book about ant intelligence, you know, this very Mm. niche uh, subject that he's devoted his professional life to. And and he's a biology professor. Um, And when he becomes famous, uh, you know, he wants to, to 
to use that fame to kind of push the book. But what's funny is that he hasn't even written the book. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it, it's, it, it's kind of a perfect portrait of this world where people want to m- become famous for basically doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, you know, we, we take pictures of the, the meals we're about to eat and post them on Instagram and expect people to fall all over us. And it, that's basically doing nothing. Um, right. Like you're, you're just kind of living your mundane life and, and having lunch. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, it's like we turn that into an uh, in, in attention getting opportunity. Um, so it, it's funny how this character who claims to not care about fame, once he gets it, he he craves it and mm-hmm. he wants to get more of it by basically doing nothing. Yep. Um, and that's so yeah. Yeah, and that's so interesting too, especially since and of course we're not gonna go into spoilers yet, but especially since the the kind of the like the first like act or first two acts even, like the the I feel like intentionally so the context of the dreams that he is inhabiting are he is not being interactive. He is not, he is just, I think they describe him as like an extra in, uh, I think, I think, or maybe that was something I imagined, but I don't know, but, or dreamed, but, um, they, he's just kind of in the background. He's not reactive to anything going on in the dreams. And like that, is fascinating to me because he is also in his own life someone like you pointed out he is someone who wants who wants the acclaim and wants the um the the um success of having written a book about the thing that he's that he's interested in without doing any of the work without with while postponing any work and then also seeking out those who are doing the work and uh kind of taking an antagonistic approach to them um in a very comical way uh it's it's kind of it's kind of brilliant in terms of satire and just at the character level um yeah and i've i think you mentioned that it it juggles a lot of ideas without really taking a, a firm stance on anything. Mm-hmm. And I actually, I can see where some people might view that as a criticism or, or, you know, presented it as, as a criticism, but I actually think that's one of the movie's strengths. Uh, you know, it, it has, it presents all of these ideas about social media and celebrity cancel culture um and you know just kind of leaves it up to you to explore them um i would argue that dreams do the same thing yeah. i mean they present a lot of uh random ideas and and we have to make sense of them yeah. so i i think the movie kind of perfectly mirrors uh the nature of dreaming in that way Oh, absolutely. Like right from even in a visual context, the way that the movie is edited together and the way that the dream sequences are um, are are showcased is is so I don't want to say subtly because it's not it's not very subtle, but it's very much pointed to the 
to the fact that these are fragmented like memories and like uh picture movies that are playing in our brains (laughs) like it's it's so interesting like just right from the jump and then it escalates from there obviously but also in the way that it's depicted so like it opens with the first like dream we see is his daughter dreaming of him just standing there as things are happening in the scene um and then from there we like as we get more like deep into the movie he there's a scene where he is asking his class um what like what have they dreamed about him like like he's asking them for what is going on like in their dreams and it's such an interesting like mix of visual and audio in that he will the students will be talking to him um and the scene will cut to the dream like the dream landscape and their narration like voiceover and then it will just transition into like their full dream and it's so interesting to me because also uh there's a scene where he is confronting a former colleague um and and taping the like recording the audio of it and he has this whole idea in his brain and he like he has these expectations of what he wants to do like how confrontational he wants to be but it doesn't go that way and then he plays back the tape as the scene is cutting back to their conversation with the audio of the of the tape and i just i was maybe it's just me being such a a goober about audio stuff but like that, I was just like, that is just so, so brilliant as a means to just get into his mindset and reflect it to like the world's mindset as they dream about him. Um, I don't know. I really like that. Well said. Yeah, that's, Thank you. that's a great point about that scene. Yeah. 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 And I don't want to read your full review on on the podcast, but I do want to just highlight, my God, that opening paragraph of your review is beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Oh, um, thanks, man. Yeah. Like, if you don't mind, I'm going to go ahead and read that part. And then I promise I won't like audio plagiarize your work or <laughs> anything, but uh You said, before social media, most of us weren't as constantly worried about our public image or brand. We'd go to school or work more to function than to build a life that looked appealing from the outside, but now people can get an impression of our lives and personalities without engaging with us in person, forming, and this is like my favorite part, forming a Frankenstein's monster from the photos and comments we share in our online profiles. Uh, Facebook and Instagram users scroll through digital proof of our day-to-day existence the same way we eagerly flip through tabloid spreads of uh, celebrities caught getting coffee or going grocery shopping while ordinary people used to crave seeing these larger-than-life figures brought down to earth. We normies now yearn to be considered extraordinary. Like, as a thesis statement and as, like, a breakdown of, like, what the... Uh, kind of themes of this movie are it's brilliantly beautifully said so so yeah i i really like that oh thanks man that means yeah. a lot to me um i'll do you mind if i kind of uh, talk about why i i wrote that no no yeah go right ahead of course <laughs> um so uh i just you know as as wormy and off-putting as he is i think nicholas cage's character is also really relatable mm-hmm. I, I think we all have his level of insecurity um and 
I think the fact that people are dreaming about him kind of makes him want to validate his own life the way that the existence of social media seems to make us want to validate our own lives. It's like, well, uh, we have this means of getting attention. Um, so we try to see if we're actually worthy of the attention. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of his journey here. He, you know, people are dreaming about him um seemingly randomly but you know is his life on its own worthy of that attention um and i i think that's kind of a, a beautiful journey that's really timely right now um i don't know if i'm making any sense no that this. makes perfect I feel like sense. i'm rambling no 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 not at all um, I, I totally agree. And it's something that I want to make, I want to make a stupid joke, but like as someone who's been podcasting for 10 years, check out my TikTok that I've been starting doing for the last like six months. But anyway, um, <laughs> uh, but no, yeah, like that is something that's, it's so interesting the way that this movie juxtaposes, juxtaposes, yeah, uh, compares or contrasts like, um, this completely innocuous um catapult to stardom like completely um inactive catapult so like he does have these hopes and dreams he does have these these goals in his life and ways that he wants to be viewed as extraordinary and he becomes the center of the world's attention through literally zero fault of his own and I found that to be such an interesting way to explore the ideas of identity as it relates to, I don't want to say celebrity because he's not doing anything to be a celebrity, but like he's on, he's like center stage on the world stage. And I just find it so interesting how I know I said this before, but like how he is trying to capitalize on that. And then, not being successful and what that says about who he is or or what he thinks of himself and uh yeah it, it it's such a rich character study of this that i am uh i am so so happy that it didn't go into much detail as, as to why it's happening it was a, it was all about what happens in this case. And I just thought that that was the best way to tell the story. Yeah. And that's a great point. And it kind of works on a meta level too. Nicholas Cage himself lately mm -hmm. is kind of the, I don't know, I guess you could say victim of the same sort of phenomenon in mm -hmm. the fact that, you know, people see gifs or, or memes of just his face and they spread through and, you know, those memes and gifts spread through the Internet like wildfire. And that's kind of the same thing that happens in this movie. Like mm -hmm. this guy is just showing up, not really doing anything, but uh, him showing up is becoming an epidemic. And um, I, I don't know. I, I think that's, you know, that speaks to the Internet as well. Like. 
people just pop up out of nowhere and you don't really know why, yeah. but it's like, it's, you know, you take some random image and it's like, that's famous. Yeah. It's that, that's a really good point. Just the, the, the viral aspect of it all. Like it's, then like just, just yesterday I, so this is another tangent. It's about, you know, TikTok and social media, but anyway, um, months ago, like within the past, like three months, I think, there was on TikTok this couple that like they they posted a TikTok that was like a cringy, just really, really kind of just overly uh, cringy um, thing where it was like um, where it was like uh, the it was it was a couple and, and the wife was like. Uh, do you want to see the cringiest couple thing ever? It's called a love surge. It's where like my husband gets so, so energetic and, and has all this love in his body and everything. Like he's in the background, like shaking and everything. And then she's like, yeah, he needs to just let it all out. So uh, then we call it a love surge and he wraps his arms around her and then they start like, like, like convulsing, like fake convulsing and everything. Cause it's all the, all the love and everything. It's very, it's cute, but it's so cringy and like, People were stitching that and, and duetting it and stuff like one and like it was just making fun of them, like making fun of them for this cute little goofy thing. And like I I didn't make fun of them on the platform at all, but like I did laugh at like one in particular was like a very, very uh, kind of mean spirited one that I felt bad about laughing at because later she had posted a video saying like like she was like in tears, like saying like, I don't know why people are so mean about it. We even said that it was cringy, but the thing that I laughed about was this guy was just very calmly. He saw it and then he stitched it and he just said, I hope they're related. I hope they find out that they were related. (laughs) (laughs) And then he starts talking about that for a while. And I was just like, that's, that's pretty funny. But anyway, I say all of that because that was months ago. And just yesterday I saw a very funny, uh, TikTok where it was a couple at a, (laughs) at a Christmas tree, like, uh, store um christmas tree place that they go to buy christmas trees uh, sure. lot yeah <laughs> um the christmas tree store and uh and it was it was a couple and the wife said uh we're at a christmas tree lot and my husband is uh taking the opportunity to act like he is uh to act like we're in a cheesy hallmark movie <laughs> hallmark christmas movie and the husband is just like he has like this 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 uh affectation on his voice and he's like well look who it is how's how's the big city treating you yeah me and my dad we we run this christmas tree lot but you know we might we might lose it this year and like he just keeps going with that it's very like cliched hallmark stuff and i realized like after sharing that i was just like that's the same couple that's a love surge couple and it's just it was just weird how people just pop up and Go away and then pop up again. Anyway, follow me on TikTok at OV Podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that's funny. Um, you know, the idea of how things can go well and how they can go horribly wrong when you attach meaning to them. Um, mm-hmm. uh, like, <clears throat> you know, uh, you can now, uh, because of this meme culture, you can take a, a random picture and, you know, just ma- somehow make it mean spirited or, yes. or, or make it positive. Like, and the same thing kind of happens to Nicolas Cage in this movie. 
you know, horrible things happen when people try to attach meaning to this uh, phenomenon of of him showing mm-hmm. up in in dreams. Like, I won't go into it too much to avoid spoilers, but right. like a, a PR firm latches onto him and tries to get him to to sell stuff, and mm-hmm. and it's kind of sleazy, and he kind of. Uh, you know, uh, toys with the notion of becoming sort of a corporate sellout. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's, uh, you know, he, he just, it, it suggests that, um, we have too much power at our fingertips when it Mm -hmm. comes to attaching meaning to these kind of random things. Oh, absolutely. And it's this, like that that the whole PR part of it, the PR company is like that that was it was such an interesting window into the capitalist society that we live in, the consumers, all of all of that social commentary um that's wrapped up in again, the sense of identity and also the 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 way that the movie kind of leans into kind of cancel culture, but kind of in a neutral sense. Um, but the PR firm is brilliant at satirizing how how the world responds to something like that and how the response is yeah generate revenue for mega corporations and then also dangle like the um dangle a carrot of potentially meeting someone uh wildly famous that i won't spoil but they're not in the movie but i won't spoil it but uh it's just it's such an interesting kind of way to meld like business and and pr stuff into again the whole idea is that like like he he, the only thing he wants to capitalize on with this is to make a book (laughs) like it's just it's so yeah and there are other things that we'll talk about in spoilers but it's it's just really interesting how um uh just the unassuming guy gets catapulted into stardom through no no, literally no intervention of him of his own making and how the movie plays out um on that front. I just I don't know. I really loved it. Um and Nicolas Cage was phenomenal. Um like we we mentioned it, but like I he has had such a obviously like he's he's done a wide swath of different types of performances over his career, but when he does these like these like introspective like actory roles like this or like pig a couple of years ago um it's just like incredible and here in this movie he's able to be a little bit like a little bit nicholas cagey but he still keeps it toned down or, or honed into what the character is going through and ties it so well to the just goofiness inherent within the character um i don't know i i adored his performance in this movie yeah me too he uh uh that's a good point that you know he keeps the character grounded because he adds a lot of uh kind of outlandish ticks to the character Mm -hmm. you know he has kind of a, a nerdy nasally voice it's a lot like the voice he does in peggy sue got married mm. Um, you know, he's, uh, kind of comically bald, um, uh, sort of our, 
sort of a cartoonish Larry David esque yeah. character um, from the outside, but like by the end, your your heart breaks for the guy. Oh yeah, um, and he's still very relatable. And uh, I I wrote in my review a little bit uh, that. I could easily see people dismissing this character based on how off-putting he is and, and kind of openly desperate for approval and attention. And, and, you know, uh, I would argue, uh, aren't, aren't we all to some degree? Um, you know, especially, uh, because of social media, um, so and you know it, it's refreshing to see a complex character that you root for one minute and then just uh you know hold your head in shame for the other um yep. uh you know uh, it, it's refreshing to see complex characters like that that really challenge the audience um and yeah it's one of my perf- my favorite performances of the year yeah same here and uh and yeah let's let's go into spoilers are you ready for spoilers yeah definitely all right cool let's go into spoilers for dream scenario um like i said um i'll play cliff from the trailer if you haven't seen dream scenario it is currently playing in theaters um right now and uh and I definitely go see it come back and listen to the spoiler review and check the show notes to navigate timestamps to skip around the spoilers if you want to continue listening um but we are going to go ahead and spoil dream scenario after this clip from the trailer there's like a hundred messages somebody wants to interview me this is strange maybe you should take a minute and think before you do anything drastic why me uh I don't know. I'm special, I guess. How does it feel to go viral? Who's actually had a dream about me? All right. So spoilers on for dream scenario and something I want to kind of uh, touch on in spoilers is the way that I don't know if this was necessarily the intention of the movie or if this is something that I'm just kind of grasping onto, but, um, the, um, attempt at infidelity and the, uh, level to which he reaches at infidelity, um, uh, with, with the young woman whose name I can't remember, um, that kind of made me think that the movie was intending to signify that maybe that's the switch uh, that causes the dreams to skew into nightmare and that's what turns everyone against him. I don't know how, since the movie is so um, so reluctant to explain anything as to why the phenomenon's happening, I do think that it could go either way, but uh, how did you feel about that section of the movie and how how and if it caused, you know, the the downfall of Paul Matthews as a celebrity. That's interesting. Until you brought it up, I hadn't really considered the infidelity mm. to be the the catalyst, but that makes sense because, you know, he starts off as kind of a blank slate. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't really judge him because he's uh, neutral in these dreams. He's just there he's not really doing anything or or affecting anything but once he starts showing his raw humanity Mm. and uh his flaws uh that's when 
there's a downward spiral. Um, and I think that is sort of a commentary on the kind of warts and all tell all culture surrounding celebrity that we mm-hmm. have now. Um, you know, these celebrities used to just be movie stars, but now we get to see them as, you know, normal people with um, normal people who, who make mistakes and, and have flaws and say cringy things mm-hmm. and do things we don't approve of. And, and um th- yeah, I think that's a great point. I, I you know, once he starts doing some things that uh, aren't so uh, savory, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, people view him in this negative light and they're kind of traumatized by him. And uh, I mean, we were kind of traumatized by the Will Smith slap. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, from you know uh the recent oscars um you know before that we just saw will smith as a movie star Mm -hmm. someone we enjoyed um uh and you know he did something uh ugly and and surprising and and you know it was kind of a gut punch and now Mm -hmm. i think there's this stigma surrounding Will Smith and, and uh, we kind of associate him with this, this ugly act of violence and we, you know, we can't help it. And I think people in dream scenario uh, have a similar relationship with Nicholas Cage's character. Oh, absolutely. That's a good comparison too. the thing I was going to bring up that was, uh, the kind of w- real world, not equivalent to it, but I, I, I want to mention not to not to veer too off uh, topic here, but um, I agree with everything you said also. Um, but <laughs> the something that I kind of latched onto uh, regarding the PR firm and the pivot from uh, from like uh, innocuous streaming to nightmare was that like I love the I love how it goes from. Yeah, we can even get you, like if you can get into like Obama's dreams, like that can be a huge thing, and you can meet Obama and all that. Um, and then like after the pivot, it's like, yeah, we can book you on Joe Rogan or Jordan Peterson. <laughs> well, yeah, it's funny. It's it's funny that it suggests you know there is and there is still an audience for people who are hated. Exactly, too. and that's that's kind of something I felt was. Sadly, sadly enough, that that like interchange in the movie is somewhat is I'm sure going to be and has been timeless, but it's particularly interesting in recent times because <laughs> that on a on a smaller scale, that's kind of what's happened to the stand up comic Matt Rife, uh, who got super viral and famous by posting crowd work on TikTok and then got a uh, a big tour and then a stand-up special on Netflix and then got immediately canceled um, because he made unsavory jokes, but also because those unsavory jokes were stuff that I was hearing on like Xbox uh, game game chats when I was like 17, 18, <laughs> um, and I'm 37. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, so like he has now pivoted to like, being someone like his response to the outcry was like to post a very tasteless 
uh, Instagram story where he had a link that said, um, click this link if you were offended by any of my jokes. And it was a link to special needs helmets, um, height of comedy. Um, but he has like since then gone on to like Jordan Peterson's podcast and talked about cancel culture and all of that. It's like, it's not cancel culture. It's just, you're an idiot who got, you know, famous for being a thirst trap on TikTok, And then shocker, you don't have an actual like refined comedy sets. <laughs> like who the, f- like who, <laughs> yeah, it's, well, anyway. it, it's, it's funny. Uh, you know, you, you can't say that uh cancel culture exists when these people still have an audience exactly exactly like they obviously haven't been canceled nope. um uh <laughs> yeah um and uh, what you know what's funny about that idea coming up in dream scenario is that it's not like these were willing viewers of these nicholas cage dreams um, exactly. you know, he was just kind of imposed upon them. Mm. Um, so, you know, maybe it's saying something there about these celebrities <laughs> that are just kind of imposed upon us. It's like, yeah, well, you know, uh, the Kardashians have a reality show and you wonder, well, why exactly? <laughs> yeah. What, what did they do? It's like, they're famous for being famous. Yep. Um, and uh you know the nicholas cage's character kind of goes through the same thing absolutely it's funny because this this movie can kind of be like the the positioning of paul as someone that's in everyone's dreams can be like summed up by like a common thing that is said online about like people who become internet famous and like it like to the point where it reaches outside of whatever bubble of internet fame they're in. So um, another kind of, you know, uh, YouTuber or like scandal thing was uh, Colleen Ballinger, um, who did some, like she was, she was YouTube famous for several years doing a weird, goofy character. Um, She got a massive following. And then years later, uh, she got canceled because it came out that she was grooming a lot of her younger fans and speaking very inappropriately to them and doing all of these things. And then she did the dumbest thing you can imagine, uh, by playing a ukulele and making a weird, like non-apology video, playing the ukulele, uh, claiming that every, all of the allegations against her were just part of the toxic gossip train. But, the common thing that I saw was that, and I, and I, I am, I am guilty of having this feeling was that a lot of people were like, everything that I've learned about Colleen Ballinger has been against my will. Um, because it's outside of that sphere of like that particular YouTubers demographic. And since it blew up, it's like, everyone knows about this person. It's like, I learned this against my will. I didn't want to learn anything about this person's work. Um, and that's kind of what, like on a global scale, that's what dream scenario is doing for, for Paul. And I think that that's, it's just such a meaty thing to throw at the audience. It's so, it's so good. It's so freaking good. That's, that's interesting because you're right. It's like, we have these Freddy Krueger type celebrities who were just imposed upon us. We didn't seek them out. Exactly. 
Um, they're just kind of in our subconscious now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, what's funny about the Colleen Ballinger incident too, is that she still benefited and gained fame even while she was so-called canceled. Like, I think that song she did, the non-apology song, was actually on iTunes, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And I believe that the common thing that was said was that she presumably intentionally made the video over 10 minutes long because that's how long you need a video to be to have it monetized on YouTube. <laughs> right. So um, yeah. And I think she recently uh, released another apology video and yeah. it's like, she's obviously not canceled. She still no. uh, has a broadcast. Yeah. She has um, a platform. She ha- Yeah. Yeah. It's, this world's weird. Um, but uh, to get back to the movie, though, there was like, there were several moments that just kind of blew my mind. But one that just like I audibly gasped was that as as the movie's going, as the fallout is happening, as he is experiencing all of these um uh, all of these experiences as a result of things that he is that that a projection of him is doing in people's subconscious um he is still like he's he's facing a backlash through no fault of his own and then the moment when he goes to the school to see his daughter's like rehearsal or whatever and like the shock and just like the shock of of him accidentally injuring the woman i was like oh my oh, like oh my god like that that felt like it opened everything up and it was just like i was i was as 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 kind of morally gray as the character is i guess or as i think that there's a complexity to paul as a character that he does some bad things the infidelity thing is is not a good thing to do. Um, it is dishonest. It's immoral, all of that. But throughout the movie, the reaction of the public is not something that is a reaction to something he has actually done to them in the real world. And then to have something happen that is by all accounts, a, a, uh, a situation that comes up by accident, but through a heated confrontation is weirdly terrifying in its own way um and i i do kind of wish that the movie would have expanded on that a little bit or done some more with that because then it just pivots to kind of like a two weeks later thing but i don't know how did you feel about that that part of it that's really interesting i think those are great points about that scene because earlier in the movie uh it harps on the idea that he's not voluntarily doing anything harmful to these people. He, mm-hmm. he happens to be doing harmful things in their dreams, but of course that's not in his control. And then you see him in a moment that is in his control and it goes horribly wrong and he ends up hurting someone. And I think that's just kind of a heartbreaking commentary on uh, you know, just the fact that we're all human, mm-hmm. we're all capable of, uh, doing bad things, yeah. you know, getting into arguments that become too heated 
that maybe turn violent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think if anything, uh, the most important thing that the movie really says is that, um, you know, none of us are innocent. We're, we're all capable of these things that can alienate us and, and yeah. turn people against us. Um, you know, I'm sure we've all said cringy things like Paul, We've all been, you know, openly desperate, insecure assholes. Um, I'm sure people out there are getting mad right now. They're like, well, <laughs> I'm not. I'm perfect. Um, uh, but, yeah, I think at the end of the day, that's what's so beautiful about this movie. It's it's saying, you know, we're, we're all human. We're all, uh, this can happen to, to anyone. Absolutely. And it reaches kind of, a completely heartbreaking finale where he is separated from his wife and he's trying to get information about her new relationship or trying to figure out like where she stands with this coworker. And then just the end where like it pivots to that consumerism thing with the Norio thing, uh, which I think in and of itself, the idea that that uh, that a corporation or an inventor of some kind would capitalize on this interesting like new like technology or new like knowledge of like shared dreaming dream space and everything to create something that (laughs) is like forcing advertising into our subconscious um i think that that's enough like i would see a sequel or spinoff movie that explored that because what a gold mine of just just uh, insanity of satire that could be but um the way that the talking heads thing comes to pass at the end to close out the movie is i think just the perfect summation uh to leave it on and the perfect kind of just closing sentiment that he he wants to he wants to get back with his wife it's i don't know it's very sweet and um uh heartbreaking in its own right um, I'm glad you mentioned the, the wife character because I wanted to, to talk about her as yeah. well. Um, there's another, uh, brief, but heartbreaking moment where, um, he's talking with her about his meeting that he had with the PR firm and he's saying, you know, they're going to try to get me to meet Obama and show up in Obama's dreams. And, you know, I might get to sell Sprite. And he's just desperately seeking her approval, which he never thought to seek before this dream phenomenon. And she says, you don't need to impress me. I I love you. Um, And uh, I think that's a commentary on this kind of approval we seek in social media that we didn't used to quite as intensely as before. It's like, you know, now we're we're waiting to see if friends and family members like our status, and it's like, well, yeah. they they love us. Yeah. Like, why does it fucking matter if someone likes the status? Um, <laughs> I don't mean to denigrate social media too much. I mean, I'm as much of an addict, right, of social media as anyone else. But I, I do <laughs> think uh, the movie uh, through the dream concept is kind of suggesting that. Uh, we need to sort of take it easy on ourselves in mm-hmm. terms of this insecurity that, uh, 
that social media um, is causing. And, you know, it's the same kind of insecurity that the, the dream uh, phenomenon causes for the Paul character. And um, yeah. Yeah. That's well said. And I, like, I feel like there's a comparison in my brain that this, this movie reminds me of one of my favorite movies of the last 12 years or so um uh spike jones is her um and like i keep thinking about this movie in relation to that movie in particular the scene in her when joaquin phoenix is walking across like a, a crowded sidewalk and he's having an emotional um an emotional conversation with uh with with scarlett johansson um uh over obviously the earpiece and everything and like he stumbles and falls and then um, everyone around him is focused on their phones and it does not pay any attention to them, to, to him or his, like his clearly like emotionally devastating situation that he's in. And I think that that's such an interesting counter. Like when you compare like dream scenario to her and the way that it is exploring, um, this sense of loneliness through different prisms. So like, uh, her has loneliness through just lack of human connection. And then dream scenario explores these senses of loneliness that we feel while we are hyper connected to everything or have this like false connection with so many people at any given time over like the internets. Um, and also I love every single one listening to this podcast and <laughs> please subscribe. But, <laughs> but yeah, I just, I think that that's, like these i feel like there there's like a a niche subgenre of movie that explores this type of thing and i think dream scenario like i can't wait to see it again because i'm going to reassess it and like i rated it four and a half stars and i it might bump up to a 5 um and it might take the crown uh on my top 10 we'll see i th- i just want to say i think that's a great point about um loneliness amid being hyper-connected and, Mm -hmm. but having these kind of false connections, I think a perfect portrait of that is when he, uh, Paul is standing in his classroom and there are a ton of students holding their hands, waiting to talk about their dreams of him. And it's probably the loneliest he's ever been. Absolutely. I think that's just a perfect portrait of, of like these false connections that he's Mm -hmm. surrounded by. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just, it's, it's like it is and the movie explores this in a variety of ways, but it's like this exploration of this, unassuming man who like anyone wants to be extraordinary wants to be like like you said in your review we normies now yearn to be considered extraordinary and like it is just this feeling of insecurity that's born out of uh bearing witness to people who um are doing extraordinary things or are putting up the facade of doing extraordinary things or doing things that are exceptional or are having like a brighter spotlight than billions of other people on the planet have uh, for even a brief window of time. So like having this depiction of this man who feels like he, it's not even necessarily that he feels like he has something worth being exceptional about him aside from the ant book 
but like the fact that he just kind of stumbles and he isn't like even in uh, like this movie is such a such a fucking amazing movie um but like having these like deep-seated insecurities and then having the world see you in specific ways that are beyond your control and like even with the infidelity stuff or with the scene where he is reenacting the dream with with the woman um i wish i knew her name because i feel i feel like shitty just saying like the woman but um <laughs> uh with her it's just such an interesting thing because even though he is willfully doing something that is breaking his his marriage vows and and is something that is a it is it is something that is wrong morally wrong in relation to his marriage um he is also failing miserably and and hilariously with the fart and ejaculation and fart scene um but <laughs> He's failing at living up to expectations that were not set by his behavior. And it's just so interesting that, like, even when you have the spotlight on you, like, you can't live up to people's expectations of you, whether that be uh, in, a, in a sexual fantasy or in, like you know, uh, potentially murdering them. <laughs> like, it's just, it's such an interesting, interesting dive into like insecurity and also just the need to be exceptional, even if you're not. So, <laughs> yeah. Beautifully said. Thank you. Just, thank you. Yeah. I couldn't have said it better myself. That was, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Talking this out, I really think it, this might be a five-star movie for me. <laughs> It's it's great. Uh, just watching like your uh, you know the the last few minutes that you just spoke, <laughs> it, it's it's great seeing that because it's a reminder that this is one of those movies that just gets you so excited to talk about. Like, yeah, there's so much to unpack, and it's it's the kind of movie where you'll just find yourself thinking about it and when you try to talk about it with friends you're like oh and there's this thing and there's that and yeah there's this idea and <laughs> this moment's great and uh, you know that it's always exciting to find movies that provoke that kind of response absolutely and the kind of underlying hilarious thing about all of this is that this episode this is the main review of an episode in which the secondary review is going to be for fucking it's a wonderful knife <laughs> which is not going to elicit the same passion <laughs> that dream scenario did uh, they, they can't all be winners no no they can't but um but yeah so i don't want to take up too much more of your time because we both have screeners we have to watch and we have movies to watch um Kind of to close out the review, um, any other things that we didn't touch on with the review or any other thoughts you wanted to get out about it? Uh, no, I, I thought we covered it uh, pretty well. Um, yeah, this one will probably end up in my top five. Nice. I, I loved it. Um, and uh, <clears throat> no, nice. I would just highly recommend this one. Absolutely. Same here. And for the listeners, Sam, would you mind telling them where they can find your work online and where they can find you on social media so that they can dream about you and cancel you? <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, yeah, you can uh, find my film writing on MidwestFilmJournal.com. I have a review up right now of Dream Scenario um, uh, and of another movie that just started streaming on Netflix May, December. Um, you can find me at letterboxd.com uh, slash Sam Movie Man. Uh, I'm also on Facebook and Instagram and, uh, yeah, maybe I'll turn up in your dreams as well. <laughs> you already have Sam. You already have, um, <laughs> <That's> creepy, <laughs> very, um, no, but, uh, thank you so much for joining me for this review of dream scenario. Like we said, it is currently in theaters, um, highly, highly recommend it. And, uh, and Sam, I'm definitely going to be, um, asking you to come back on at some point. Obviously I have, I have a whole roster of movies I want to review. And I know that I have you marked down to potentially come on in January to review Night Swim. Um, oh, yes. Can't yeah. Wait. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very excited for that. So, <laughs> um, yeah. all right. So, uh, peek behind the curtain. This is the first time that I'm doing a, uh, primary review and then recording a secondary review separate. So I don't know what a clean transition is going to be like, but, uh, coming up next on the podcast, I'm going to be reviewing. It's a wonderful knife with, uh, my friend and colleague, uh, Brent Luthold. So stay tuned for that. And Sam, thank you so much for joining us on the obsessive viewer. Um, I'll have links to all of, all of Sam's stuff in the show notes of the episode. Um, yeah, stay tuned for It's a Wonderful Knife and, and Sam, thank you again. Thank you. And now joining me for our secondary review this week is my friend and IFGA colleague, Brent Luthold, whose written reviews and podcasts can be found at awakenthedark.com. And to give another plug for Midwest Film Journal's Samuel L. Jackson essay series, uh, Brent's contribution to the Hold On to Your Butts uh, series will be an essay about Black Snake Moan, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Brent, welcome back to the show, and thank you so much for joining me tonight. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. Uh, and yeah, I'm uh, right. I did a write up on uh, Black Snake Moan, and uh, that's going to be out uh, next Monday, the 11th, I believe. I think nice. that's the date. So yeah, it should be next Monday morning. Very nice. I am very excited about just the whole the whole series and everything. I mentioned previously in this episode um, that I'm going to be contributing an essay about uh, Unbreakable. Um, and I was going to do a whole thing where I was like, ah, oh, dang, you know, Brent, you just missed Sam. He just left. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I do want to say up top that I, I, have, <laughs> I have this dumb note scripted out, but I... I messed up. Earlier in the episode, I made a reference to her in our spoiler review of Dream Scenario. In that review, or in that refer- in that review, I referenced a scene in which Joaquin Phoenix falls down and people around him are glued to their phones and not conscious of him being around. That's actually the reverse. Uh, he falls down and everyone around him swarms and uh and and asks if he's okay and he ignores everyone because he is frantically trying to get connected to sam um his his os uh his os lover um which is the name of my pop album that'll be coming out um this (laughs) this winter your k-pop album right (laughs) exactly (laughs) yeah 
Nice. Uh, yeah. uh, so, Brent, today uh, this um, secondary review is about It's a Wonderful Knife. And then uh, we're going to do a non-spoiler review. And uh, I'll play a clip from the trailer to bring us into the, uh, to the review proper. But basically... Um, we're going to do a brief, uh, uh, brief-ish, uh, non-spoiler review of It's a Wonderful Knife, which is currently streaming on Shutter, following a, um, a run in theaters, and then we'll probably end with a little bit of potpourri, uh, to round out the episode. So to bring us into the review, I am going to go ahead and play a clip from the trailer, except I'm first going to ask Brent, what have you been up to lately in terms of reviewing, and where can people find your work online and on social media? Uh, yeah, awakeinthedark.com uh, is is still the best place. Um, on uh, Facebook, X, Twitter X, uh, <laughs> Threads, Instagram, Letterboxd. Letterboxd. There you go. Did it. God, <laughs> nice. I got all of them. Uh, I'm <laughs> nice. not going to go through all the names because they're slightly different, but just look yeah. for Awake in the Dark and they're probably on there. Oh yeah. Um, I did a review of uh, Dream Scenario for <laughs> uh, for What's Up. Uh, nice. which will, which is online now and it'll be in, in what's up this week. Nice. And yep. The black stink aforementioned black stink moan, uh, essay is going to be up next week at Midwest film journal. Besides that, I've just been buried under screeners, bar- yeah. buried under screener discs and then digitally buried under <laughs> digital screeners. Place. Yeah. Same here. It's, so it's the most wonderful time of the year. Um, it, it truly is. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's it's awesome. Uh, so that's great. Um, with your like weekly reviews and stuff, do you like take a break for the holidays, or do, do you have stuff pumping out the rest of the year? <clears throat> um, we usually have to work around them, but yeah, usually, I, I think I think usually for Christmas they just they kind of just take off. Mm-hmm. So that's that's potentially one. I think that was okay, like Christmas is on the. Uh, on a Monday. Monday so yeah. I don't know. I, I'm not sure what they'll do, but usually it's like one week off, something like that. Nice. Uh, but other than that, I, I, in the past I've done, well, I've definitely done top tens. I think sometimes I've done like the year ahead sort of things mm-hmm. or like I, in the past I've done like stuff that's coming out in the holidays or whatever, but yeah. that's sort of already, already passed. So sometimes I'll do stuff like that if, if nothing super big is coming out, but, uh, other than that, yeah, pretty much just truck along. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, <laughs> nice. not too many breaks. So nice. Yeah. Um, I usually don't necessarily do like a written top 10. I think I have the last year or two. And every time like it comes, to, basically what happens is that I see a lot of our colleagues uh, in the IFJA posting their end of year list. And I'm like, I'm going to join in. Um, cause I usually wait until middle of January to release the year in review episode of the podcast. Um, but I kind of want to get something published. So, um, like written and everything. So, um, I'll probably do that in the next uh, couple of weeks, but uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's been a, it's been a good year, I think. <clears throat> yeah. Usually by the end of December, that's when I'll sort of know if there's anything else that I'll have mm-hmm. need to have seen to really feel like I'll feel good about putting out a list. Mm-hmm. So usually that's like at the end of December, I'm pretty much like, well, is that it? And then if not, <laughs> then I'll maybe wait into January and then mm-hmm. just sort of see, um, you know, where stuff goes. Yeah. Um, before I had access, we had access to, I mean, such 
lovely screeners that we get. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember Phantom Thread came out in that was 2017, but it was like going into 2018. Yeah, and it didn't play in Fort Wayne until like late January 2018. Oh, so that episode is actually like. Uh, I think in early February of 2018, that was one of the, I think it was the very first episode we did. Oh, nice. Uh, Cause that was what I'm like, I have to, I have to wait on that. And of course, yeah. you know, glad I did. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, we're, we're lucky that we don't, I mean, usually by December, we will have seen most of the stuff. And there's, oh, you yeah. know, of course the, the, the big names or whatever, indie, your indie wires and your rolling stones. Yes. Yes. They like have already published stuff this week. So <laughs> right. I think is a bit premature, but you know. a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But really at this point, I mean, it's like in terms of top tens and, and I know that no one's really seen it yet, but really I feel like Rebel Moon part one, a child of fire right. is, is, uh, is, is, the the one to beat <laughs> um, this is what i'm talking about it's their like, game you know, to you lose gotta, you gotta wait till <laughs> exactly you gotta wait until at least like mid-december because that's coming out right? like the 22nd or something i think so like yeah 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 no, i'm just kidding it's all over my calendar i know it's the 22nd obviously <laughs> that title <laughs> jesus christ um <laughs> yeah what is it yeah, i'm sorry you just said it but yeah it, uh, it is rebel moon rebel part moon one, part a, one uh a child of, a child of fire fire yeah Yep. And then I guess in I guess in April the part two is coming out. Um I think that's what is on the calendar, so we'll see. But yeah, yeah. Um it's gonna compete with Dune, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. Um but uh speaking of um I don't know, uh child children of fire (laughs) and like their children in a fireplace this is gonna be a good segue i don't know what it is but i'm looking forward to it uh let's review it's a wonderful life i don't don't know uh but yeah i'm gonna go ahead and play a clip from the trailer and then i'll bring us into our review of it's a wonderful knife once again it is streaming on shutter as of december 1st uh 2023 and uh it had a little run in theaters so here's a clip from the trailer for it's a wonderful knife Waters? Last Christmas still haunts me. Time to let that go. No one cares. Everyone would be better off if I was never born. Did you see that? Did the power go out? Oh my god. (laughs) I stood under the aurora and said everyone would be better off if I never existed. Well, wish granted. So the premise, according to IMDb, is after saving her town from a psychotic killer, Winnie Carruthers' life is less than wonderful. When she wishes, when she wishes she'd never been born, she finds herself in a nightmare parallel universe where, without her, things could be much, much worse. Uh, director for this movie was Tyler McIntyre, and writer was Michael Kennedy. And the cast includes Jane Widdop. Uh, Joel McHale, Justin Long, Jess McLeod, and Catherine Isabel. So Brent, um, you know, it's funny. We talked about, you know, screeners and, and being very, you know, this is, this is the busy time of year as we kind of watch as many movies as we can. Um, why did you watch this? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's a, that's a good question. I, uh, (laughs) 
I knew it was coming out in theaters uh, last month. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, honestly, it may part of it may have been a little bit of Thanksgiving hangover. Mm-hmm. Thanksgiving the holiday or Thanksgiving the movie? Thanksgiving the movie, meaning mm. like, oh, slashers are really cool. Yeah. <laughs> this one surely <laughs> uh, will be. Mm. Um and so it was in theaters kind of around the same time as that. And then I knew it was having a quick release to shutter. Mm-hmm. Um, we still have AMC plus because I forgot to cancel our membership. <laughs> That's like 75% of it. That's wow. like why we, uh, why we watched it. But, uh, nice. you know, I, I, I like the, the Christopher Landon sort of, um, you know, happy death day movies, mm-hmm. freaky sort of, you know, doing something a little more with, you know, horror kind of slasher. And, um, I didn't even see the trailer. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just like saw the, the, uh, or I just saw the title basically. And I was like, okay, well probably somehow this is going to be incorporated (laughs) with, uh, the, the, you know, Frank Capra, uh, 1945, 46, uh, movie. So anyway, um, yeah, I, it was, it was on. (laughs) <laughs> it was on. That's the, the that is the succinct answer to your your, your question. It, we were channel surfing and it was on. <laughs> <laughs> that is totally fair. It th- so I like I chose to watch this movie and I like it planned out since it was coming to shutter. I planned out reviewing it for the podcast and I like that was more out of curiosity because I too am kind of a fan of this recent trend of slasher movies that kind of have some kind of uh fantasy or other like fantasy movie reference to them i guess uh, like Mm -hmm. creative edge to it where like you like you referenced freaky and happy death day and then um there was another one that came out oh totally killer totally killer yep yeah uh so this like this is an interesting spin on it and an interesting spin on uh the slasher genre which is a genre that i really like and it's something that i came of age as a movie fan because of scream and blah 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 you guys all know all about that but um it's just an interesting spin on it so having said that like i was curious about this movie and then watching it i just felt like it was just so lifeless to me it felt very (laughs) lazy and just slapped together and we'll dig into it a little bit but basically i felt like at at every turn the the slasher aspects of it were very just kind of rote and and not very kinetic or energetic um we'll talk about that staircase scene (laughs) that like yeah it it infuriated me for a couple of reasons but we'll get to that but um, I'm pretty sure there was an owl that came down and uh, <laughs> yes. was picking at the killer scalp. Oh, wait, no, it's yes. different thing. Never mind. <laughs> um, but they, but that, like, the slasher aspects was were were not good. Um, and then even like the "It's a Wonderful Life" spin on it wasn't engaging at all. Like this felt. It's kind of funny because it it reminded me a little bit of um, an extrapolation of the feeling I had when watching um, The Exorcist Believer in mm-hmm. that it felt like, oh, like with with that, we I, we said it on the podcast that 
Exorcist Believer felt like, oh, David Gordon Green was very successful with the Halloween trilogy, uh, so they gave him an assignment to do The Exorcist, and that's what it felt like. This feels like, hey, there's a trend of fantasy slasher movies that play off of established uh, concepts in popular things, so let's do our own. Let's do this one. And it feels like an assignment, and it just does not not, uh, cut it for me. No pun intended. Yeah, I was thinking of Totally Killer uh, as well, because mm. even though it's not like a Christopher Landon one necessarily, mm. that also is in the thing. I think that's a more successful movie than uh, It's a Wonderful Knife. But yeah. that one was on Prime, I think, in October. Mm-hmm. So, like, it literally felt like Shutter was like, oh, like, people like that when fun stuff comes to you know, uh, to streaming. So let's just quick, you know, it's like they could have made this in six weeks. Like, I really don't know. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, not technically because well, <laughs> not, I'm being cheeky anyway, but regardless, <laughs> it was funny because when I, when I was watching this with, with Aubrey, uh, I was like, right as the like credits were right, right as it was starting up. And she was like, oh, the sun shutter. That's cool. And I was like, yeah, I was actually in theaters like a few weeks ago too. And as we were watching the movie, she was like, this was in theaters? <laughs> <laughs> like, basically meaning, like, this feels like straight to streaming. Yeah, and it really it does. does. It does. And it's like, I'd probably feel pretty ripped off if I saw it in theaters. Like, yeah. eh, this is not this is not what Nicole Kidman sent us to the movies for. <laughs> no. Uh, so, no. yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really... I like, like I said, it's very, it just feels very lazy and it doesn't feel like there's any passion to it. Even when like you consider the, um, it's a wonderful life aspect of it. That just feels so perfunctory to everything. Um, and it's like, it's not so much that it's not believable as a concept, of course, but it's more like, they're trying to do the self-referential meta thing with that. So like, so like, it's like, will you be my Clarence? Yeah, I'll be your Clarence. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, that's fun. That's whatever. But like, I also feel like there's like nothing like, okay, okay. Here's the thing when, and I'm not trying to compare this movie to it's a wonderful life because (laughs) they're not comparable. Of course, (laughs) But when you consider It's a Wonderful Life, one of the reasons why... They have really similar titles. They do, yes. You know. Uh, Yes. (laughs) Uh, One of the... Like, the the strongest thing about It's a Wonderful Life, one of the strongest things about it, is that, you know, George Bailey is at the end of his rope, and he tries to kill himself, and that's the impetus of that. Um, And It's a Wonderful Life, it's like, well, you know... (laughs) My brother got a truck and I, and like, I got... I didn't get into college. I didn't get into college. Uh, Also, you know, people were killed last year. And it's like, there isn't enough of a... Like, it feels like it's such a lazy setup for her to say, I wish I was never born. (laughs) Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. So, it's... And there's two things. I won't spoil anything, but Mm -hmm. there's two things in the ending. Well, one, I can... I mean, whatever. This isn't a spoiler. Mm -hmm. Sorry, spoiler for It's a Wonderful Life or any movie that is, (laughs) you know, copied it since, including this one, of course. Yeah. Um, So, basically, what you said is, you know, it's basically a lack of stakes. You don't have the sort of character depth... So mm-hmm. when you have essentially the sort of next day or like a Christmas carol sort of when mm-hmm. you have the next day and things sort of go back to normal, 
then you're like, you probably should have already, you probably, that should have just been your normal next day. Cause like, yeah. let's face it, like, I understand you've gone through this journey, but like, <laughs> you know, stuff was, you know, stuff wasn't really quite that bad for you. So I, I agree with you definitely on that point for number one. Number two, I don't want to like spoil anything. There's something mm -hmm. really mean spirited. There's kind of a rug pull. I'm referring to the very, very last line in interaction. Okay. I, I'll, I, I'll just say that. And okay. It, it has to do essentially with like, oh, are things back to normal or not? Sort of. Anyway. Okay. But point is, it's, yeah, there's something. It's really, it's kind of gross and ugly, mm. and it, I think it sends the movie off in a really. Anyway, it, there were it had a crumbles before that anyway, so it doesn't <laughs> yeah. really matter. But it kind of bothered me because again, mm. it, it anyway, it gets back to a sort of like the stakes and like the bridge and someone being at their wits anyway. Yeah. So those are just two things with the very ending, trying not to dance around it, but mm -hmm. yeah, it, it falls apart before then. And it's one of those things where it's like, it takes a classic that like, it, it, that doesn't have to explain all of its mythology. And yet it's like, well, it does in this because <laughs> they have to keep spitting their, because this is it's not a movie about characters at all. No, it's about no. the situation, you know, this essentially sci-fi, you know, situation yeah. uh, or whatever. <laughs> um, so yeah. all these things they have to, anyway yeah yeah it falls apart from that side of it especially oh That's absolutely it's it, it pretty pretty messy yeah and like as as a as a slasher aspect to it uh, as the slasher aspect to it is um kind of uh unveiled throughout it um it also kind of shoots itself in the foot by making the entire prologue be like the setup of the slasher, the, the angel killer thing person. Mm -hmm. Um, and then this isn't really a spoiler, but we get a, like it is, we learn a lot about that particular killer and that particular individual. And then that just kind of saps any like fun slasher whodunit things about it, uh, going forward. And it's not that that's needed in a slasher for me, but when there is such an absence of literally anything else compelling about the movie, it kind of it just it kind of just didn't do anything for me because I'm like, OK, well, the characters know who they're going after or who's going after them. They know like all of these things and they try to do some some uh, light uh, uh uh, Nancy Drewing, Nancy Drewing, <laughs> and like pulling the rug out from under you in that, sure. but it's like it's all like very too little, too late, and then and then yeah, there's there's a whole other element at the end. Like it's it's a mess. This movie it a gets mess. more complicated for sure. Yeah, uh, prior to the title card, which is you know basically the other is basically well, you you see who the serial killer was. We can yeah. say right before the title card, um, and. It's for me, again, I want to give this movie the benefit of the doubt. And I thought that was kind of fun because mm -hmm. I, I, I'm like, okay, that could be a fun way to sort of subvert things and say, okay, well, we know who the killer is. So there has to be something else. And obviously there is, and, and, yeah. and you know, through this kind of a year later thing and, and blah, blah, blah. Um, so, yeah, but it doesn't. It doesn't, though. That's the thing is yeah. like, you, it's it's a decent setup for what it what could, could be. But um yeah, this is terrible. I, I hate to even bring up Wish Upon. I, I saw this a couple <laughs> nights ago. 
But <laughs> this is the classic thing where movies have to sort of spin their wheels, like where the protagonist has to be r- really stupid for a period of time in the movie and not understand supernatural circumstances because mm-hmm. it's ju- this padding, essentially. And this is definitely one of those ones where yeah. it takes her way too long to realize, like, the exact words that you said. Yeah. <laughs> um, Wish Upon is, is a w- way worse movie, and also the... it's She's, like, five wishes in oh, until Jesus. she realizes... Like, <laughs> the, the, uh, this is weird. <laughs> this is what's going on. Like, I'm saying stuff in a really specific phrasing, and it's not working out for me. Jesus. Yeah. So, Ooh. anyway, it's a wonderful knife. Is not that bad. Yeah. <laughs> if if I if I can if I can uh, damn it with any phrase, I suppose. Sure. Um, <laughs> in terms of the violence, too. Like that. That's one thing that. I would be a lot more forgiving of this movie if the set pieces were, uh, had any imagination to them. There is a, a kind of a clever, um, candy cane kill that feels mm-hmm. also very, um, expected, not even expected, but it just feels like, okay, it's a Christmas movie, so we need to implement this. And like I kind of I kind of wonder if I would have been more into it had I seen this movie before I saw Thanksgiving because Thanksgiving mm-hmm. had just obviously brilliant like use of Thanksgiving instruments and implements right. for the kills and here this just feels like it feels like checking it off a box uh, checking a box off a list and and then just kind of just meandering to the finish line at the bottom of a staircase by ripping off Scream 2. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. God, yeah. That's, that, I didn't think of that, but yeah, yeah. But you're right. That's, that's, <laughs> that's what pissed me off so much about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, if I, if I can just go on a brief tangent about that. <laughs> uh, without spoiling it, there's a scene late in the movie where uh, the, the killer is knocked unconscious. And then, I mean, very beneficial to the audience, uh, one of the characters says, uh, he's knocked out. He's out cold. We need to get like we need to step up. Like basically outlining what they need to do. We need to step over him at the bottom of the staircase, and he's just at the landing of it. And like they have to very quietly and very slowly step over him. It is the lamest and laziest <laughs> like ripoff of like a very tense scene that I actually wasn't too fond of in Scream Two because it kind of stretched mm-hmm. a little bit of like my uh, suspension of disbelief, but that is a very confined space thing. For In Scream 2, uh, Sydney and her roommate are in the back of a police car that has just wrecked because Ghostface has driven it uh, into a pole um, and they he like Ghostface is unconscious, so uh, Sydney and her roommate have to get through the like mesh of the divider and then go through the like on top of him. Uh, to get out of the car. Um, very, very tense, very interesting sequence. Here is just a group of people, like, not trying to be quiet, slowly stepping over an unconscious person at the bottom of a stair, uh, of stairs. And it's like, there's no suspense. There's no, like, there's no, like, immediacy or urgency, uh, sense of urgency. It is just, like, a very, just like anti anti tension sequence and it's so annoying 
Um, I hated that part so much. Well, much like the characters, I'm trying to tiptoe around spoilers, but if I would <laughs> yeah. just say there's a there's basically a section in this movie where the characters think they have to do something mm-hmm. to make things go back. And I it kept nagging at me, like, isn't that the wrong thing to do? Don't they have to do something else? Mm-hmm. And they end up doing the first thing and then they end up having to do the second thing. Yep. I think hopefully that's spoiler free enough, but yeah. that was just the thing that was sort of nagging at me during it. And it turns out, yeah, they, they had to do something else to get mm-hmm. things back to normal. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's really that sort of second half, I would say, is really where it starts to fall apart for me. Um, yeah, I would I would say I think that the two I think the two actresses actually did a pretty solid job with mm. kind of what they had. I think, I don't think either of them are as good as, um, is it Jessica Roth? Is that how she says her name? Or I Ro- Roth? Thinks, there's I th- an E at the end. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's Roth, but it, uh, Tree in, um, in Happy Death Day. Uh, right, right. Right. Yeah. Um, she, she's great in those. And I think she's a oh, big yeah. reason why those movies work so well because in both movies i think she just really goes all out and similar you know similarly um you know catherine uh, newton and uh mm-hmm. vince vaughn i mean and that's freaky yeah. sort of a different sort of movie but regardless um yeah. like performances are there in those movies yeah i don't think they're up to that level but i did mm-hmm. think that yeah jane widdop and um is it jess Mc- mcleod Mc- McLeod? Uh, Mc- i don't know mcleod mcleod Mc- um i'm not sure I thought she was especially great as Bernie. So Bernie is, yeah. um, she's, she's sort of the, the outcast in the beginning. And then, you know, it turns out they, they sort of have to, to team up and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought she was actually really good. Yeah. Um, she reminded me, it reminded me of like Maya Hawk in like Stranger Things. Totally um, got that vibe. sort of a thing, you know, where it's like, she's, because like in Stranger Things, she comes in kind of at a later season. She's mm-hmm. not necessarily like the outcast, but mm-hmm. like anyway, she sort of um, you know, she she sort of comes into the show late and uh I don't know. I, I really actually liked her performance quite a bit to the extent where I was like I was like, it would be cool to see her in other things, or like is there yeah. a way they could have done this movie? more like not around her character necessarily mm-hmm. but i don't know i just had her in there i don't i don't know um, right. i did think that jane widdop was good too yeah um you know so that's that, that those these are things that kept me in it generally sure but it yeah. helps that um is it bernie is it was that her name um, yeah, characters yeah yeah bernie yeah. um it helps that she's like the one character that they wrote like anything for basically right. <laughs> like right absolutely. Um, she has like yeah. a little bit of depth there and i don't know i just i like i i agree she was she was good she was good i i enjoyed her performance um but it's interesting that like i also want to kind of touch on justin long and joel McHale mm-hmm. both um yeah mm-hmm. Justin Long, like, <laughs> he's in a completely different, like, he's in, like, he's in, in It's a Wonderful Life, I think. Like, he is the cartoon villain of the town, yes. very much yes. playing the, playing, the, playing that uh, trope. Um, Where is he from? Where is his character <laughs> from? I have I was no giving, idea. Like, he was giving me, like, South Carolina. Like, <laughs> yeah. I was getting, I was like, because he has this very noticeable time. I mean, of course, Justin Long is just 
hamming it up. I don't oh, know. Yeah. Whatever. I don't know. I think I saw an Ohio license plate. And okay. I spend enough no time in Ohio to know that no one in Ohio talks like that, even Southern Ohio. Anyway, regardless, yeah. um, he's just doing the whole he, he's just doing the whole thing. And it's just like it's so exaggerated. There's a moment yes. late in the movie where he drops it entirely. And I love that yeah. because it's just that facade. And he's yeah. like exasperated. Well, I don't know if that's just a long dropping it or that character <laughs> yeah. dropping. I don't know. <laughs> I, I guess it could be kind of interesting if it's the character, but this movie doesn't. I don't think it's. Yeah. I, you know, I, I could be giving it too much credit, but I, I took it as the character dropping it. Like, the character dropping it. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then also, like, it's funny because, like, Justin Long and Joel McHale, in my opinion, are the two, like, standout performances for wildly different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, like, Justin Long, he over the top, hamming it up, like you said. And then Joel McHale is, like, he's very, like, uh, not relatable, but like he's he's a character in this movie that is like he's playing up the like sadness and the drama of his character. And I'm like, mm-hmm. did you read the script? Like, did you read like <laughs> how like are you not uh, like it, it veers off into a like he's he's doing too much work um, for the product yeah. of the movie. His characters between the two sort of universes, I feel like, are mm-hmm. very di- like he's almost giving kind of two different performances. Yeah. Um. And yeah, there's one that's pretty dark. Th- this movie sort of goes into the. I think I mentioned at some point, like, oh, the color grading, like, really, like <laughs> all of the color is totally tapped out. Yeah. And it turns into not it's a wonderful life, but mm-hmm. I don't know if you thought of this, but Back of the Future Part Two. Um. Yeah. When you know the the sort of the past that Marty goes back to um, uh, anyway, where it's all Biff Tannen and yeah. he is like, he runs the whole show. He runs the whole city. He has this, you know, thousand floor skyscraper and everyone else is poor and everything else sucks in, in Hill Valley yeah. um, without saying too much about it. It has that sort of vibe to it. it yeah. This movie gets pretty dark into that. And again, I mm. almost sort of respect it because it's an R rated movie. So, I yeah. mean, but like, there's like people smoking crack and like right. being like really down and out. And I was like, they're going there. I mean, yeah. I guess everyone would be super depressed if uh, oh, yeah. this guy who uh, is, you know, a, a terrible, you know, mayor that's driving all of these jobs, anyway, all this stuff. So yeah. um, everyone's miserable. Uh, so again, I mean, like, you know, there's some <laughs> points here and there where I'm like, okay, they're like going for something a little bit, but yeah. But again, with like a slasher, like we, we've we talked about this, you know, mm-hmm. it's like you have to have the the core thing make sense. Like it mm-hmm. has to make sense within kind of how things play out. And yeah. especially if you're going to do one of these sort of, uh, what do we call them? Like supernatural slasher? I, There's probably some portmanteau that someone's come up probably, with. Probably, yeah. And, you know, that, I, that, yeah. Are, that are one of these sort of things. Mm-hmm. Like I think you have to have that locked down you have yeah. to have, kind of play it out and see its logical logical conclusion and uh this just doesn't it gets more confusing sort of as it goes on um yep justin long's mayor has like supernatural powers by the end of this oh my god yes like what the hell was that that was totally out of nowhere aubrey yeah. was like 
again this isn't <laughs> I, I, this is i don't even care if this is a spoiler yeah. um, she's like everyone's eyes look really weird and i'm like oh well they're probably just really sad what a stupid condescending it's thing for me to so say but anyway weird. Um, and then, but then so anyway something happens and their mm-hmm. eyes sort of become unshuttered you know whatever not yeah. literally but anyway um so apparently <laughs> that happens there's like powers that are brought in for uh i don't know when i don't know why but yep that was so out of left field and i was j- <laughs> uh, at that point i'm like i don't i don't right. care enough to deconstruct the why of this i'm just like i'm no. running out the clock um, <laughs> <laughs> like sure yeah why why not yeah whatever <laughs> yeah so it's it's not a good movie i didn't enjoy it um thanksgiving uh, is gonna yeah. be pvod like in two weeks so nice yeah please just wait for that <laughs> exactly exactly and as mentioned earlier in this episode it did get announced that they're gonna have a sequel so that's very exciting go. oh yeah um Coming back for seconds oh yeah uh so that is our review of it's a wonderful knife unless brent you have anything else you have you want to say about it um <laughs> that is it (laughs) all right uh i ended up rating it i think one and a half stars out of five just kind of very generous (laughs) i gave two and a half nice (laughs) i do think the the performances were there i think Mm -hmm. with the two of them i liked them working together sure sure and sure a few other things <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it just doesn't work on the whole no i i'll never see it again oh a funny anecdote about this is that i uh i was excited about it being on shutter and then i was like I, like i'm i i got a shutter subscription in october because that's kind of my usual thing is i'll get a one month subscription to shutter watch a bunch of stuff in october and then rinse and repeat next year so when this was coming out i was like Man, I should really I like maybe I'll re up my shutter subscription just for the month and I'll 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 watch this and then dig into a bunch of other stuff there. Um so I did that, but I did it through Google Play and like the subscription through Google Play wouldn't work even though that's how I subscribed it to it in October. So like I paid money through Google Play uh through the subscription and like when I loaded shutter, it like would not let me access my account or wouldn't let me oh, access geez. it. Yeah. So I'm like, I got a refund from Google play. And then like I messaged, uh, my friend, Mike, who is, uh, uh, the recurring co-host on the podcast. He'll be in the year in review episode next month. Um, he, and I was like, Hey, do you have a shutter subscription I can borrow? And he's like, I'm sorry. I use, I use my friends. I can't give it. I'm like, oh, that's fine. So I ended up getting a one week trial, as a uh, on uh, the Amazon Prime additional channel of Shutter, so I was able to watch it without paying the six ninety nine for a Shutter subscription, and I'm so glad because I would have been very angry if I got <laughs> if I spent seven dollars to watch this movie. <laughs> right. Um, well, yeah. I uh, I probably shouldn't be saying this on the podcast, but I literally <laughs> just re-upped for a full year of AMC Plus. So, oh, nice. <laughs> uh, you know. Well, there you go. Maybe, maybe hit me a message. Never run into trouble like that again. I, but of course, you normally pay for it. Yes, of, of course. course, of course, of yeah. course. I'm definitely not winking um, at you over uh, Google Meet. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I it, it's, it's, uh, Shutter usually just has some stuff. Well, I mean, you know, the AMC side of stuff too. It's, mm-hmm. it's like one of those ones where it's like, okay, like it has enough stuff. Yeah. You know? 
um you know and they do have like the ifc stuff you know mm-hmm. blackberry is, is definitely one oh, of yeah. you know it's it's really strong movie that i, I liked a lot this year and mm-hmm. i didn't watch the three-part series thing that they did because i think that's kind of a little odd but uh regardless they split the movie up into a three-part miniseries that's oh. on amc plus oh. which i've not seen wow, uh, i've okay. seen the movie um <laughs> but they basically did a three-part miniseries and they added more wow. stuff Okay. I've never heard of that happening where you have a movie that was theatrically released and then they put it on a streaming service cut up with extra scenes. I've never heard of that. That's the first time I'd ever heard of that. The only like thing that I can compare it to, but it's not a it's not like a one-to-one thing, is like the like extended editions of things and like uh the um oh god, the hateful eight. Um the kind mm-hmm. of roadshow version of it. Um, like they right. have like a four parts thing on Netflix. Um, but I'm yeah, not sure what weird. the strategy was, but I wonder yeah. if it's people thinking movies are too long. Yeah. Yeah. And we, if we give it to people in three hour chunks, three mm-hmm. hour long chunks, yeah. I, cause I think it's three, three or five. I think I'm pretty sure it's three. Okay. Um, and the movie was probably about like two. So maybe it's like an additional, yeah whatever anyway i don't know exactly what the 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 metrics were but i i wonder if it is that thing they're just like people hate movies yes (laughs) just don't call it a movie we can make movies but that when we distribute them they have to be serious right that makes me very curious to see what happens um i think it's with napoleon with ridley scott saying that like he has like a four and a half hour cut of that movie um Mm -hmm. that will be on um apple tv plus i kind of wonder if they'll do like a something like that or if he'll tell them to fuck off i don't know (laughs) yeah we could do a whole other episode (laughs) about like the peekaboo streaming release thing that like napoleon and uh killers of the flower moon are doing with apple tv both of them apple Mm -hmm. tv plus where it's like it'll be on apple tv plus Sometime. someday and then they yep. do this little thing <laughs> the finger near them maybe you know it's like is it gonna be 2023 or 2024 we right. need to know yes I'm not telling. <laughs> uh that's someone that's that's some uh, publicist over at apple yeah apple tv plus doing that voice but uh <laughs> that's sort of interesting I mean, we, you know so you, getting back to that's a wonderful night just very briefly yeah that's something where you know it's going to be on shutter mm-hmm. and if it's called if it's a wonderful knife yeah we'd assume it's probably going to be in December. right so you have stuff like that but there's stuff like killers of flower mood as we sit here today and napoleon yep. i don't know when those are going to be on apple tv plus yeah, either no. of those same here um, they just killers announced... of flower moon just hit pvod but yep yeah who knows so we'll so. we'll see um yeah yeah, but that is our review of It's a Wonderful Knife. Once again, it's on Shudder. Um, I don't recommend it. Just watch Thanksgiving again. Um, like mm-hmm. That's my suggestion. Um, yep. And Brent, to kind of round out this episode, I want to do kind of a brief potpourri section if you're game for that. Um, okay, cool. So, uh, if this is your first time listening, Potpourri is the section of the podcast where we kind of wind down and share our thoughts on things that we've watched lately, things we're looking forward to, whatever we want, as long as it smells good. 
And uh, Brent, since since we're in the midst of screener season, award season, all of that good stuff, um, I had asked Sam this question earlier in the episode. Um, are there any movies that you have watched in the run up to like the IFGA awards um, that you have been particularly taken with and want to give a bigger spotlight to here on the Obsessive Viewer podcast? <laughs> well, I've been watching Wish Upon. Uh, of course. <laughs> um, yeah, so the deal with that is that Red Letter Media just put out like a video, like a watch-along video. Mm-hmm. Like, it was 50 minutes long. Of Wish Upon? Like a, for Wish Upon. Oh, okay. Like a couple days ago. Wish Upon is a stupid horror movie that came out in 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, Your Movie Sucks did, I think, a watch-along years ago that okay. I never watched because I'm like, I don't know, watch-alongs <laughs> kind of be, tend to be more fun if you watch along or have seen Sure. So, and I just never got to it. And then, so, Red Letter Media did one two days ago, and I'm like, all right. <laughs> the Venn diagram has hit these two internet forces have both nice. uh, convened upon Wish Upon, so we, we decided to, to watch it, and it, it was indeed hilariously bad. Nice. Um, so, besides uh, Wish Upon, which I shouldn't have, I probably shouldn't have wasted my time on, especially this time of year, <laughs> um, we did watch uh, Poor Things last, nice. last night, which is uh, not really, I mean, I... It's not in our world. It's not a small release. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think for other people, I don't know like how this will do in theaters. Right. Um, but this is a, this is a searchlight movie that will be coming out. Uh, maybe like I mean, technically limited. It'll be coming out in December. But like I don't know when it's really going to expand. Yeah. Um, this is the newest uh, Yorgos Lanthimos movie. Um, Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, um, Jared Carmichael, uh, Willem Dafoe. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, it, it was it was excellent. I mean, I, it was probably my most anticipated movie for, I would say, most of the year. I mean, if not really the whole year, because there was um, there was there was this movie, Poor Things, and then a movie called And that Yoris Lanthimos was working on kind of concurrently. Oh, that's right. I forgot um, about And. Huh. And, and so that actually just got a title change as well. Okay. I think it's called Kind and Kindness or something like that. Right. Okay. Something like that. Anyway, I'm, I'm going off the top of my head with that. But um, so I didn't like when everything was coming out and everything, but it's Yorgos Lanthimos and I was just excited mm-hmm. about that in general. Yeah. I was going to ask, like, what is your yeah. relationship with him? Because I am kind of... We're lovers. Okay. Nice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I had seen Dogtooth at a time where... I had, you know, I had seen some, I had seen some foreign movies, but that was one that really felt like it wasn't just not from this country, but not from this planet. Yeah. Uh, So I was, I was really, uh, really taken with with that one in particular. Um, And then I've kind of generally loved everything he's come. I'm not as big on uh killing of a sacred deer which in mm-hmm. hindsight of like saltburn like barry keegan i mean these, that movie is still really good but i mean mm-hmm. the favorite was my favorite of 2018 i think the lobster nice. was very high up um nice. in 2016 for me so he, he's definitely like one of those one of those uh filmmakers that i i really treasure a lot and really anything they're kind of involved in um, I don't think he was really involved in the great, although Tony McNamara, who uh, frequently uh, writes with um, Yorgos Lanthimos, as he did on uh, Poor Things, mm-hmm. um, 
was very involved with that show, The Great, which was on Hulu for three seasons, um, not being renewed for a fourth. Um, but I watched that show. Really big fan of that, too. Um, I, hmm. I I don't know if people need a synopsis for for poor things. It's basically um, yeah. Emma Stone's character. It's 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 sort of a very wonky Frankenstein movie um, that sort that takes place like in London and Paris. Like it's very it's sort of steampunky, I guess, mm-hmm. because like it's sort of of the past, but there's you know fantastical things and and you know colors and settings and all yeah. that stuff that's very fantastical the trailer made um, me kind of think of like a terry gilliam kind of aesthetic yes yeah. very yeah very much uh terry gilliam and uh you know some like fritz lang in there definitely some yeah. like metropolis vibes or some of it too there's kind of a, a german expression it's 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 its own thing <laughs> yeah. i mean you know it's it's he's uh he makes his own kind of things i you know it's like I'm a huge, I, I think it's a fantastic, I think it's a fantastic movie. I think Emma Stone, I mean, probably the best lead performance I've seen this year. I mean, it is just oh, nice. insane what she does in, in this movie. It's just like, it's so funny and specific and mm-hmm. watching her character sort of transition to uh, like having really basic phonetics uh, to becoming much more eloquent and like her, just her body language. You can teach classes alone on what she does with mm-hmm. her, uh, just like body language throughout this entire, uh, movie. So she's excellent. Um, nice. yeah, it's like such a weird thing. I was like, I don't like it quite as much as the favorite, but like that was like my favorite movie of that year. And I think mm-hmm. that's still Yorgos Lanthimos' best movie. So yeah. maybe I don't like it quite as much as that, but this <laughs> is like going to be in my top five. So I mean, nice. you know, that's, uh, you know, it, it, if you haven't seen any of his movies, honestly, <laughs> I'd be like, start with this one. Cause I can't really say that there's like a super accessible movie of his, maybe the favorite. Uh, yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. I like, I'm, I'm mildly excited to see poor things. I'm going to prioritize it, of course. But uh, like with Lanthimos, I like, I can't like Dogtooth, I saw like for the first time, like maybe four years ago, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. and like, it's such, it's a, it's a, like you said, it's not of this planet basically. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's a unique story. It's interesting. And I kind of like was into it, but like killing of a sacred deer, I just, there's this, I don't know if this is a fault of me just as someone who's viewing his, his movies, but like, there is just this like feeling of just unease like kind of not gross but i'm just like i'm so like it unnerved by his movies Mm -hmm. and and i can't really like point to a specific thing about it but it's just they're so off the wall that i'm just like i can't really find a route into it so like i've never seen the lobster but i feel like i should definitely see the lobster because it sounds like the kind of movie that i would be into um, but the favorite was great because it is sort of not accessible, but sort of like accessible by his standards, I guess. Um, it's more like a very irreverent take mm-hmm. on like a costume drama. Yes. Yes. Um, so yeah, that's probably technically his most accessible, but there's definitely yeah. still some like, you know, off the wall choices and things and you know in that movie but yeah yeah 
Um, but yeah, the but only it, consolation yeah. I can give you with poor things is that where if you're saying that you're not sure what's making you uneasy mm-hmm. in his movies that you've seen in the past, poor things you'll at least be able to point and understand <laughs> to the things that are making you uncomfortable. Okay. And one thing I can tell you right now is the score. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a harp that's playing on, in dishwater. In oh, a, in a, interesting. Uh, in a sink. Jesus. Okay. It's very loopy. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he he's uh, he's his own kind of thing. Yeah, he's really had a lot of critical appreciation. Mm-hmm. I think, especially for the favorite, and kind of even, I think the lobster in some pockets, and mm-hmm. and you know, in in this movie, I mean, we'll we'll see, you know, from award season. I think Emma Stone yeah. is the one thing in this movie that people are going to be like you could throw out if you wanted all the weird stuff and still see nice. a performance that's really, really first rate. Um, but you know, I like all the other weird stuff too. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so he's so, definitely a yeah. kind of mood filmmaker. Like, yeah, I, I have to be in the right headspace to, to, oh, yeah, to, I get to watch his stuff. Yeah. Um, so that's poor things. It is going to be in theaters this weekend. Um, if I'm not mistaken, um, yeah, in some yeah. markets, I, I think that's going to be like a New York, LA thing okay. this weekend. And then I don't, I don't have showtimes yet in Fort Wayne, but I'm mm-hmm. almost positive it'll be like in, mo- in, you know, bigger theaters, hopefully yeah. by the end of this month. Yeah. Nice. Um, and to round out potpourri, uh, just a real quick, uh, movie that I watched, um, a few nights ago, um, a thousand and one, which is, uh, streaming on Amazon prime. Um, it's about a woman in 1994, New York city who, uh, gets out of, uh, of jail and basically, uh, kidnaps her son from foster care and then raises him. And, uh, it is a, it is, it is a trip. It is very good. Um, the performances are fantastic. It spans several years and, the kind of family dynamic and the way that she uh, struggles to just like to to be a good parent and and to like raise her child is really great, especially with the backdrop of like as I think the plot summary um, uh, uh, c- c- compares it or or describes it as against the backdrop of a changing New York. Um, it's it's really good. Have you have you checked this one out yet? Yeah, I saw this one, I believe, on Peacock this summer or something. Okay. Whenever it was on whenever it was on Peacock, because mm-hmm. this is a uh focus release, focus features. Oh yeah. Um and yeah, I was I was a fan. Um I nice. I think especially um very performance driven movie. I yeah. do like yeah what you mentioned about different periods of New York. Mm-hmm. Um they serve as the the chapters are almost kind of demarcated by um with like portions of speeches that uh that mayors of new york have given i thought that was such a such a neat detail of Mm -hmm. like these just like you know whatever yeah you know rudy giuliani is in it a decent (laughs) amount like all these like mayors who just like (laughs) they talk about like their city and like the problems that they're going to combat and it's very rich and very white and then it's and then it's juxtaposed with like no, this is the, like, you're actually getting the real, like, what things really feel like uh, for people in this movie. That's what the movie's about. So I thought yeah. that was a really neat juxtaposition, not just, like, 
socioeconomically and politically, but just narratively, I thought that was kind of a neat way to, again, show the passage of time, as you mentioned. So absolutely. Uh, yeah, definitely a good movie. And yeah, so it's on Prime now because I think mm-hmm. they do the like split time or whatever. So yeah, well, yeah. hopefully people will have a chance to to check it out. Yeah, totally. And I like I just remembered uh your letterbox blurb on that was great. Uh I just pulled it up. You said starting to get a bad vibe from the really from this Rudy Giuliani fellow. <laughs> Which I, I got a huge kick out of that. That was really good. Um, yeah. yeah. So that should do it for this uh, this week's edition of The Obsessive Viewer. Um, Brent, thank you so much for joining me um, for, for the second half of the episode. And uh, Sam, if you're out there, thank you for joining me again. Um, yeah, because he's not here right now. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> Can you tell that tape over his mouth? (laughs) Exactly. Can you tell that it's a little awkward for me to record two segments in separate times? Um, No, no, not at all. I am looking forward to joining you next February when they reboot Valentine. Oh, just kidding. I I was going to say, are they? (laughs) No. Well, they are now that I mentioned it. Yeah. You are like, uh, I think at this point you have uh, become a holiday slasher. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, the first Omen is coming out this this next year, so um, I'll force you back on for that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, but that'll do it for this episode of The Obsessive Viewer. Brent, thank you again, and tell tell the listeners where they can find your work again. Um, AwakenTheDark.com is yeah, the best place. I'm on Facebook, you know, Twitter, Threads, Instagram, Letterboxd, mm-hmm. all that check it out nice um and next week on the show the plan is for me to review uh silent night for the main uh, feature review the new john woo movie and the secondary review will be for leave the world behind which is going to be on netflix on uh this friday so uh, december 8th so uh that'll be next week i don't know who's going to be on it or if i'm going to fly solo for it we'll see Um, but I'm going to start playing myself out and once again, give a quick pitch to the Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer, where you can find tons of exclusive content, uh, that I record. Um, last week, uh, all told I recorded six hours worth of podcasts between Patreon and (laughs) the main feeds. So, uh, consider signing up on Patreon. Uh, but thank you again, Brent, and I'll see you guys in the next episode. And now, enjoy this short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. For the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, such as early access to episodes, TV book and movie reviews and reaction recordings, commentary tracks, and Patreon potpourri episodes, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. It's, it's so funny to me that... Um, now I'm going to say this, but, um, we, we all know that, uh, here in a few weeks, anyone but you comes out, which is the, um, uh, Glenn Powell and Sydney Sweeney, um, rom-com. So this could change in a few weeks, (laughs) but it is so weird to me that my favorite romantic comedy of this year is about a dog and a robot. Um, Robot Dreams 
is wonderful. Um, I wrote on Letterboxd just a quick blurb. I put, wonderful, just wonderful, endlessly charming and sweet with a constant feeling of forlorning woven within it, beautiful. Um, So... This podcast was edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find links to all of our shows at ObsessiveViewer.com slash podcasts. For exclusive bonus content, including reviews, commentaries, and B-roll episodes, you can subscribe to our Patreon at Patreon.com slash ObsessiveViewer. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.